I don't know if you've ever been to the optometrist, you know, the, the eye doctor. You know, uh, raise your hand here or put it on the chat if you've been, you know, to the optometrist to actually get your eyes checked. Go ahead and raise your hand here. And I know you're raising your hand, you know, on the chat as well. What was amazing to me as a kid is I had no idea that I actually needed glasses. And so I went, you know, to the eye doctor, the optometrist, and uh, they did that normal first test. First test, you know, where you stick, you know, one hand in front, you know, and you're trying to read all of the letters, right? And trying to figure that out. Well, all of a sudden it dawned on me that what I was able to do was not as good as what other people were able to do. And I had no idea at that point. My eyes were not 20-20. My eyes were out of focus. And you know, the next thing that they do is they put this kind of mechanical machine, almost Star Wars-like, you know, in front of you. And they uh, ask you a bunch of questions. Which is clearer? Number one or two? Number three or four? Number five or six? And you're supposed to respond back and back and back. And so finally, when all of that was done, I got my first pair of glasses, and I must have been about in the fifth grade at the time. And I will never forget how clear the world began to see them in my eyes. I was like, I was seeing detail like I've never seen before. I was seeing leaves, you know, that I never knew were on a tree before from a certain distance. You know, I was seeing things that were thrown at me by my classmates. I actually saw them before it hit me in the face. It was amazing to actually have that experience and to have that encounter. And so here's my question for all of us today. Do you have a clear focus in your life? Do you have a clear focus in your life? And I wonder if you're able to answer that. See, this is the second week of this series that we're talking about this idea of focus. And it reminds me of the story that I've told one other time, you know, in the last five years that I've been here. And it was a story about a couple who went on vacation. And when they got back from the vacation, they were so exhausted from the trip that everything that they had on this long vacation, they said, you know what, honey, let's just go to bed. We will take care of it all in the morning. Well, morning came pretty quick. And they went outside and uh, the husband walks back inside and says, um, uh, honey, yeah, uh, where did you park the car? In the driveway, of course. Well, it's not there now. So they rushed outside and they were looking up and down the street. There was no car to be found anywhere. And so frantic and panic began to set in. And so they start calling neighbors and friends and family members. They call the police. They come out, they get a statement. Here's the make and the model. And then they sit down because there really is nothing left that they can do at the moment. But over the next few hours, it just felt worse and worse and worse. In fact, as they began to think of what was in there, some of the pictures and their wallets and some of the things that they were just going to have to replace and some of the things that were irreplaceable. And so the husband sat down and he was just deflated and he's watching the television screen. And sure enough, up pops on the television screen, the exact car commercial of the car that just got stolen. And the, and the, and the advertisement went something like this. You too can enjoy amazing experience by driving this car. And he all of a sudden just started laughing. He says, yeah, I used to have that amazing experience until my car got stolen. And his wife looked at him and says, how can you laugh at a time like this? And he says, you know, honey, it just dawned on me. She said, what's that? He says, I can be upset and not have a car. Or I can choose to be happy and not have a car. Either way, I don't have a car. See, what was his focus on? Now, obviously he had to deal with the ramifications of what was taking place, but his focus was being consumed on his misery instead of an opportunity to focus on something else. What are you focused on right now? 
In fact, on the chat, go ahead and put that down. You know, what are you focused on? If people were, you know, to even tell you what you're focused on, what are you focused on right now? And, and if you're at one of our locations, just whisper it to somebody else if, if you're comfortable and their family members obviously keep six feet of distance, if you could, as we continue to go along. What are you focused on right now? You see, here's the reality. If we focus on the world, we'll be distressed. You're going to face anxiety. You're going to face overwhelmed. You're going to be you know, anxious in many different ways. If you start thinking about and focusing on COVID, schools, the election, the economy, this is what's going to happen. If we focus on the world, we're going to find ourselves distressed. If we focus within ourselves, we're going to find ourselves depressed. Because you start focusing inward, you can't get outside of whatever it is that you're facing. You just kind of play the tape over and over and over, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if, if we focus on Christ, we'll be at rest. If we focus on Christ. Can I get an amen from that? If we focus on Christ, we'll be at rest. See, if we focus on the world, we'll be distressed. If we focus within, we'll be depressed. But if we focus on Christ, we will find ourselves at rest because Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy Burdens. Are there any burdens that anybody's carrying tonight? Any burdens anybody's carrying today? We're facing these burdens in our lives. And he says, I promise you that I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Notice it doesn't say that Jesus will take away our problems. Notice it doesn't say that it's just going to all magically go away. He just says that in and through it, what we focus on, we will find peace or a lack thereof. See, we will either focus on the mission or we're gonna focus on our misery. That's the reality. We're gonna focus on the mission. We're gonna focus on our misery. And when we focus on our misery, we will find ourselves out of focus or blurry in life. And oftentimes it's a slow fade. And so again, how'd you do this last week? You see, our, our mission, as we talked about, is the mission of Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost. He remained focused regardless of the circumstance or situation, and he asked his followers to do the same, to say, yes, we have to deal with the reality of what we're facing, whatever life may bring, but we're to remain focused on the mission at hand. And he tells us that all authority has been given to him, all authority. And so he challenges us to go to make disciples of all nations, and as we have just witnessed and seen, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything that he's commanded us. So it's to be and to make disciples. We're supposed to do that in our homes. We're supposed to do that in our workplaces. We're supposed to do that in our communities, and we're supposed to do that in our world. Share the message of the good news and to become more like Jesus. See, at Valley Real Life, we call this our discipleship process. And, and because we need to say, well, how do I know I'm going and growing? How do I know I'm becoming what Jesus has called me to become? And how do I know I'm helping others to do the same? We call it an ABCD process. We're a very remedial church for those of you who are watching you know, online. And you know, we need simple and I need simple because that's who I am. ABCD, we said the process of becoming more like Jesus is to accept Christ, to belong, be in relation with others, to see, to contribute, and to D, which is to Disciple, A, B, C, D. But it's hard, isn't it? It's so hard to stay focused on what matters most. But take comfort, we're not alone, not even in our society and time frame. You see, God's chosen people is the nation of Israel. 
And the nation of Israel had been delivered from the slavery of Egypt, and they were now on the precipice of the greatest promise that God had ever given his people, the promised land. And they had wandered and they had come and here was their shining moment. Here was their opportunity. Here was the mission that was before us right at the doorfront of their lives, a fulfillment of almighty God's promise. And this is what we read in Numbers chapter 13, verse one. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Let's stop right there. God has promised this is going to happen. The God of the universe has says, I am giving you this land. So this is what he says. Send one leader from each of the 12 tribes. So these 12 tribes sent one leader to represent their tribe as the leader of their tribe, and they sent him into the promised land to kind of scout it out, to get a field, to get a lay of the land. 40 days went by, and they came back, and oh man, did they have some things to report. They were so excited. They said, you will not believe how awesome this land is. Look at this fruit. The land is so fertile, unlike any place that we've ever seen before. There's amazing farmland. There's, there's oceans. There's, there's places that we can fish. There's great land and great houses, and it's a land flowing truly of milk and honey. Amazing. Then verse 28 hits, but, you know, I think one of these days I'm going to do a series called All the Butts of the Bible. <laughs> I think it'd be, you know, that'd be a phenomenal series, but the people living there are powerful, and their large cities are fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Malachites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country as well. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So where was their focus? Was it on the promise of God? No. It was on the obstacle. It was on the reality of what lay before them. What was a clear calling, what was a clear mission, what was a clear promise became really blurry really quickly. And isn't that true in our lives? I mean, think about it. They had just forgotten just the last couple months that God had sent these 12 plagues to show the nation of Israel as well as the entire nation of Egypt, which is the ruling power of the day, that none of those gods were real. There's only one true God. It was absolutely amazing to start thinking about the, the Red Sea that was parted. Almost a million people crossed on dry land. Are you kidding me? And they come across some people and they're like, oh, we can't, we can't do this. How easy is it to lose focus? And let's be honest. It's the same for me, and it's the same for you. See, a lack of faith blurs our focus on the mission. Because when we don't focus on the mission, we will focus on our misery. And when we focus on our misery, inevitably we'll focus on our fear. In fact, let me show you a guy who's a part of our church who didn't have all the good things happen to him in his life. And I want you to notice early on what he focused on and how when he changed his focus to 
to not focus on his circumstances or the obstacles, what happened and how he got through it. Go ahead and take a look at this now. Growing up, uh, I think my life was, was different than other kids. Uh, I was different than other kids because I had a, a visual impairment where I couldn't see things as well as other kids. And I think that kind of set me apart. Um, I also had a dad that was really in and out of my life. He was, uh, he was an alcoholic and um, he didn't live with us. And he would be sober sometimes and then other times I wouldn't see him for a long time because he was drinking. One of the most devastating things that I can remember that happened to me when I was a kid was that he, he passed out uh, and he burned our house down uh, and we had nothing left. We, all of our stuff was burned. We couldn't live there anymore. And I remember going back to school and all of my friends and the teachers uh, knowing about that. And I had this deep sense of shame. That loss and that shame and my dad being in and out of my life, um, I think that really drove a lot of the, the addiction that, that I experienced later in my life. And so I started to drink and to use drugs and, and to live that way, to escape from, from a lot of that stuff. And I continued to do that uh, into adulthood. And I continued to, uh, to bury those things, right? To escape from it. The biggest depression and hit for me was when, when I lost my vision completely and they actually had to remove my eyes. There was like a, a last hope surgery that they were gonna replace my corneas. And, and it didn't work. And uh, I had a lot of hope in that. And when that didn't work, it, it, uh, it just, yeah, I lost hope. When I was about to lose my second marriage and the things that I had done uh, to my wife now, Christina, uh, I, I, really, I really had to take a look at what was going on. She had me leave the house one time when I was drinking and I was staying in this cheap hotel room. And, uh, and it was a pretty sordid place of at the bottom and I decided to, to get down on my knees and pray and, and this time I didn't just pray to some God of my understanding or uh, something I read about in a book I, I prayed to Jesus we started going to church and I heard about this place called Valley Real Life and the first time I went in uh, Dan was given a sermon that really resonated with me and uh, then Adam that guy Adam got on stage and started talking about this thing called Celebrate Recovery. We started meeting in small groups, and I joined a group and learned how to, uh, how to confront my, my stuff, my old stuff that made me feel ashamed and remorseful for so long. Uh, through Christ, I was able to confront some of that stuff and learn and grow and continue to build those relationships. And uh, Eventually, they asked me to, to help lead worship at Celebrate Recovery. And that, um, that's been a real joy in my life. I have a lot of loss in my life, but um, with my vision and my upbringing and my addiction. But he's, he's really changed that and transformed that into something that, that I can use to help other people. That I can use my gifts to help people get closer to the Lord, to present, present Him in a way that, uh, that can resonate with them. I get that opportunity now to be there for my kids and be a solid father who's, who's there no matter what. And, uh, and that, you know, I can just thank, thank God for that.
guys like Tim just humble me. And when I consider what I would call misery, and then I see a story and hear a story like that, and I understand what it took for him to gain a different kind of focus and perspective in the midst of his misery. And we go to the story back to the nation of Israel, and we start looking and we see this one guy who says, you know what, I know your focus is on all of these obstacles. I know your focus is on what's going to prevent us from fulfilling the, promise of, the promises of God. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once, he says, to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. You can just imagine this, come on, let's go, let's do this. I mean, I just imagine William Wallace and Braveheart. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. That's the worst accent you've probably ever heard in your life. And then here we go again, verse 31. But but the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them can't do it. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land amongst the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. What did the people do? They listened to their leaders and notice the result. Chapter 14, verse 1, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night long. Anybody have a baby in the house? Any babies? You know, babies online, just put in the chat right now. I have a baby. I haven't slept in two months. And a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron began. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Really? How quickly things changed. How did it change so fast? Ten guys is all it took to change the focus of a nation. Ten guys. Only Caleb and Joshua remain focused. You see, who we choose to fellowship with will shape our focus. See, to fellowship is relationship but it's also who we allow to influence us. Who you will hang around becomes your perspective and focus. Can you tell? See, who do you choose to be in relationship? Who do you choose to listen to? Who do you choose to be persuaded by? The power of influence that God has given to us as men and women, the power of together. See, are you shaped by the news or by his word? Are you shaped more by fear or by faith? Are you shaped more by the opinions of others or the opinion of God? See, following Jesus is primarily a we experience, not a me experience. If it's a me experience, I have no chance. Did you hear Tim's testimony? He says when he came to a group of people who had a different focus than what he currently was focusing on, his perspective began to change. Then he said he got into a small group and it changed further. Then he got to serve and it changed further. The power of fellowship. See, here's what we all know. Isolation will lead to mental, 
emotional and spiritual unhealth. That's just the direction that it goes in. I mean, go back to the way God created man, right? In the the beginning, everything was good. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything that grew was all good. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Until he said it is not good in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, for man to be alone. This is before sin. This is before the fall. This is before things went bad for man. He says, I have wired, I have created you to be in authentic relationship with other people. Yes, that means you two extreme introverts. We're all in it together. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says it this way. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. See, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Tyler's going to hit on that more next week. Verse 25, but let us not neglect our meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Because let me be honest with you. We can't fulfill the mission of Jesus unless we are in relationship with others who are also trying to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Don't believe me? Just look around. Why is it that certain communities seem to have a perspective on everything that's going on in society versus a different community, not but a couple hours or states away, that have a completely different perspective? The power of influence. Notice across the country even. Some churches are having services and some are not. Both have good reasons to do so. But here's what should never, ever change. Because that Hebrew passage was written not about services. It was written about small groups. It was written about small groups. Here's what you know. If you want to study Christianity, the power of Christianity, the one thing that never has been canceled, never has been put on the shelf, small groups. Look at history. It didn't matter whether it was persecution. Look in the Middle East and China today. It doesn't matter whether it's a war, whether it's political pressure. Large groups has gone away from time to time, but people still gathered together in small groups. Even the great plagues of earlier centuries, they still gathered together. We need one another. And again, we have a, a technology that allows us to connect with one another through something called Zoom, but I understand Zoom fatigue. I had it. I experienced it. And so as we head into this fall, I want to challenge and encourage you to get in a small group. And if you're in an area or a situation where you don't quite feel comfortable getting together face-to-face, that's fine. We're going to have Zoom groups as well. It's too important to not experience community in one way, shape, or form. And so as we close, in order to focus on the mission Let's make it a priority in our lives to commit to being in a small group in relationship. The way that you're going to be able to do that here as we go to the fall is to go to VRL slash groups to be able to do so. And you're going to be able to see right now as you're watching online or if you're at one of our locations, you can get involved in a women's fall study group, a men's group, a rooted group, a youth online or for high school or in home group, a middle school you know, group. All these things are starting and they're starting to get going. We want to make sure we provide you people in your lives that are committed to the mission of Jesus.
Otherwise, I promise you, we will lose our focus and it will get blurry really quickly because the misery continues to pile up, which is why it's more important now than ever to focus on the mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I just thank you for the opportunity that we have on this day to put a proverbial stake into the ground and saying, I will not go through this alone. Lord, we need other people. You've called us to be in relationship with other people. You've called us to go on mission together. And so I pray that you would allow us, no matter where we might be, no matter how we might experience, to make this a priority so that we can remain focused on what you've called us to be and who you've called us or where you've called us to make a difference for you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.